Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode two of the Ice the Kicker podcast brought to you by the Caps on Sports Network. My name is Glenn Denegris alongside Matt Ferrara. This is our first episode on an hour normal time slot we did a little preview for the thursday night chiefs opener which they won pretty much how we expected them to win pretty non-competitive effort by the texans even though we both assume that the texans will eventually be there towards the ends but before we get into those games we're going to start about we're going to start talking about the game that just ended matt and that was that giants steelers monday night game and as a giants fan I'm one of those more kind of realistic Giants fans. I understand that they're not going to win this year. I understand that it's a work in progress. They have a new head coach. They have a new system. But I'm sure you can relate to this as a Dolphins fan where they lost the Patriots week one. We're kind of on the same boat. Even though we're not ex- we didn't expect a win necessarily week one, even though I kind of like talked my shit on Twitter saying how the Giants were going to win. But like deep down, yeah. I knew they weren't. Yeah, It was still a frustrating loss for the Giants because they had many opportunities to steal that game. Yeah, so I, the biggest thing I think week one is just emotions are high. Everybody is just so emotionally invested, going crazy since the draft, since the end of last season. New coaches, obviously, higher expectations as they should be. And I think for both of us and folks on the Giants for right now, it started off awesome. I mean, you yeah. couldn't really script it any better. Defense was flying around. Danny Dimes had that bomb, and it looked it was awesome. And then some sort, of, some sort of hopefully not reality, but it looked like a reality check in the coming that second quarter, even the second half. And like, there were moments in this game, and I understand this is like as I said before, new head coach, new system, not everything's going to work perfectly. But there were moments mm-hmm. in this Giants game where I just wanted to like take like my pillow and just like suffocate myself about how frustrating this was. I mean, right off the bat, Evan Ingram with an easy drop on what would have been a third down. They ended up mm-hmm. punting on that first drive. And then they get a gift from Pittsburgh because they muff the putt, punt and the Giants get the ball back on the one-yard line. So you're thinking mm-hmm. with Saquon Barkley in the back in the backfield, it's going to be an easy easy six, easy seven mm-hmm. for the Giants. We're going to get to a Barkley in a second because he was dreadful, and a lot of that's on the <laughs> offensive line. But to only come away with three points on that possession where they get the ball at the one, getting a hand-wrapped gift from the Steelers, to only get three, that set the tone for a plethora of mistakes. Uh, that 19-play drive that Daniel Jones orchestrated about against a very tough Pittsburgh defense, that's something as a Giants fan you love to see. You want to see that from your second-year quarterback, but that play at the end, 19 plays, picked off in the end zone off of a bootleg to his weak side, by the way, which is a stupid mm-hmm. play call, by the way, by Jason Garrett. The mental mistakes are just – they were just – all over the place. Then after that, there's a fumble down the sideline on Pittsburgh. There's five Giants around, but the one Steeler, Juju, gets it. It, mm-hmm. it drove me crazy as a Giants fan watching that game because I'm watching this game and I'm looking at all these mistakes that they made. And I'm like, this is a game they could have won. Mm-hmm. So my question to you is, how many times did you watch this game and say, is this the same old Giants? A lot. Because I remember – Last year on a Monday night football game against the Cowboys, Antonio Bethay had a pick against Prescott deep in Dallas territory on like the first play of the game. And they were at the five yard line and they settled for a field goal. These, they, they, they were in, they were inside the 10 yard line first in first down inside the 10 twice. And they only got three points. One on the first time, 
after the muff punt where they had a settle mm-hmm. for field goal. And then after the 19 play drive to end an interception, three points instead of a potential 14 points, boom, that's the difference of the game. That's the same old Giants. The defense, the defense was okay. Um, they're a very young defense. I, I read that their average age of their defenders is 24 years old. So that's like us. Mm-hmm. That's like putting yeah. us out yeah. <laughs> on, on defense in the National Football League. They played well, but every time the Steelers had a third down, they seemed to convert. I think they were eight for 15 on third downs. Um, yeah, man. Same old Giants. Yes. Yeah. So going back to the after the muff punt, again, Jason Garrett has seen Saquon terrorize his own uh, defenses yeah. in years past. So I don't know how you don't give him three, if not four, run it wherever. And not mm-hmm. from a shotgun. You, you put a fullback in and you say, yeah. hey, Steelers, I'm running this down your throat. I need four or five yards, wherever it is. And I'm trusting Saquon, my guy who everyone wants to pay a gazillion dollars to, to, to do his job. And it was one of those situations where I saw it was, they kind of outcoached themselves. They yeah. tried to get me a little, a little too tricky, a little too kind of uh, deceptive there. Just just hand the ball and then go go fight that battle in the trenches right there and trust that your line is going to be better than their line for three or four plays. It's not just one. It's just three or four. You go for it on fourth down if you had to. And then uh, something I wrote down here, just you saw that, that, one, that one Danny Dime, but I don't know if there was a lot of Danny Dimes plural. And that's just, again, I'm going to nitpick them harder than everyone probably just because all our friends are Giants fans. And I'm just going to try to be as fair as possible with him, with Darnold, with everybody. And I thought for the most part he looked really good. Uh, yeah. And then it's it, the, the shitty part is that he looks really good, he looks really good, he looks really good. And then it's like, all right, that, that like you said, the weak side interception. And then you, are, you have another interception. And then it's just like, well, well, shit. And then it's like you do all this good and you have that awesome dime touchdown. And it's like, all right, it's awesome. And then you take a step back. And it's like mm-hmm. – that sitting in the middle, it's tough. And again, I know it's week one, but obviously we're going to be hypercritical on it because the Giants are your favorite team. And a lot of people listening, the Giants are their favorite team. So it's, it's healthy to say, hey, listen, he needs to be better in this situation and then point out the good, but understand that, hey, there was still some bad. Because again, I did it with Tannehill all the time where I would say, oh, he, he, he's not actually that bad. He's not actually that bad. And he would be going one touchdown with, with four or five interceptions. And I would just defend every little thing he did, but got to call it what it is sometimes. And he started, again, started off hot, the whole offense pretty much did, and then kind of just really sizzled out there a little bit. On the rollout, the final play of that drive, you got to throw the ball away. I know it's, a, it's his second year, and he's still going to make mistakes, and it's, a, and it's the first time he's like the guy for the New York Giants. There's no Eli mm-hmm. looking over his shoulder anymore on the sideline. But you got to throw that ball away. That's just football one-on-one. Second and three, live to play another down. You got to throw yeah. the ball away. And what's even more frustrating was, you know, that pick that TJ Watt had just picked it out of the sky. That leads to yeah. the touchdown for Pittsburgh. That makes it 10 to nine after the missed extra point. So I, I really did like what I saw from Daniel Jones uh, today, tonight. I'll, I, if I can get up the stats as my iPad is not functioning for a second. He, he played he played pretty well. I mean, he had that. Mm-hmm. He had two touchdown passes to Slayton. The second one's in garbage time, but it still counts. The first one on the post route was tremendous. Yeah, I awesome. like what I see from Daniel Jones. Everybody else needs to catch up. And by everybody mm-hmm. else, I really do mean that offensive line because the offensive line gave Daniel Jones absolutely no time to you know, let his receivers get downfield and really air it out. We saw the one play to Slayton for the touchdown, but everything else, Matt, was just like dink and dunks and like – 
three, three to five yard out routes. They, the, Daniel Jones had no time to breathe. And even more importantly, Saquon Barkley had no room to run. Yeah, so we'll, we'll get to Saquon in a second. But yeah, the Steelers, the first few drives, again, they look, they look awful. I have Big Ben on my mm-hmm. fantasy team, and I was already looking at, all right, what other quarterback can I, can I pick up right now? Because they look terrible. But they look terrible because the Giants defense was just pressuring them, pressuring them. They had all these, uh, all these routes that took a while to, to progress, and then you could never find them. But then you saw the, the script kind of flipped a little bit, and then it turned into the Giants. All right, they kept getting pressured. They kept getting pressured. Steelers blitzed every single play. Bud Dupree was an animal in all, all aspects of the game. It was crazy. And then you saw, like you were saying, Daniel Jones had just no time. And then you, you have a younger quarterback, no time. You make a couple errant throws there. And then, and then now we got to talk about saying it was kind of a bad performance in some way. Yeah, and, and really the turning point for me was actually before the, you know, the, the, the drive that everybody's going to talk about for the rest of the week, the, you know, the 19-play drive that ended with the interception. The last mm. four minutes of the first half, Matt, I don't know if you watched the entire game, but the last four minutes of the first half, it's 10-9. to 9, The Giants get a stop. Uh, Pittsburgh punts it away. Jabril breaks a couple tackles, gets the ball inside the Steelers' 50 around the 47-yard line. Giants have great field position to march down the field, at least get a field goal, go into halftime up 13-9, to 9, and then, you know, we'll see what happens. It's a completely different ball game. Not, they don't do that. They don't gain a, a single yard. They punted away, and with a minute and a half left, Ben, who couldn't get anything going for the entire first half, in 90 seconds goes 80 yards down the field and scores a touchdown. The Giants' defense was playing really well to that point, and then in that two-minute drill, the Giants' defense was just gassed, and they couldn't get anything going. And then a touchdown at the end of the half makes it 16-10 to 10 Pittsburgh. And at, going to the locker room, a game that the Giants pretty much dominated in the first half, they're down by six. A defla- mm-hmm. that's deflating at the end of the half. That was the difference for me. Yeah, so – and then also with that then too, then you get – you saw that momentum. So, Steelers get the momentum at half. Then it's always, all right, who's going to make the the halftime adjustments there? And clearly, the, the Giants didn't do, do too much to adjust there, and the Steelers did. They were doing a lot of quick passes. Big Ben was just putting on a clink, slicing dice in the field a little bit. They established the run, and that's even without uh, James Conner. And then, again, you just saw once they got the lead – Dogs were off the leash, and they just blitzed every single play. And it was just too much to handle by then. And then also, again, the only, I guess, uh, excuse for Saquon, say, is that, all right, maybe because they're down a bunch, they couldn't run it a lot. But going to Saquon now, what what did you think about his performance? Uh, It's hard for me to really kill Saquon because the second Mm -hmm. he would touch the ball, there would be, like, three guys ready for him. Um, He had that one – you know, break out with the screen and he just shows off his abilities there. Just his quickness, agility, and speed is just off the charts. The, 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 the Giants just didn't win the battle of the trenches, in my opinion. I don't think, I think it was more on the line than it was on, on Saquon Barkley. I don't think Saquon Barkley really had much of a chance. I mean, you can have Barry Sanders, you can have Emmett Smith, you can have, you know, just name the best running back possible in your minds. They, they, they're not going to, they're not going to be anything if, you're, if the offensive line is getting pushed back every single play, that's something that the Giants have had trouble with for seemingly, you know, the last decade is their offensive line. Ever since the guy, ever since like O'Hara and Snee and McKenzie, all, ever since those guys retired, it's been just a mess with this offensive line. They, Eric Flowers was terrible. Uh, Nate Soldier opted out for COVID, but he hasn't been good since they yeah, signed him for England. Um, they have, you know, Andrew Thomas, who they drafted in the first round. It takes a while for a rookie 
um, offensive lineman to figure it out and get comfortable and get his feet wet in the NFL. And that's under normal circumstances, not mm-hmm. in this where there's no preseason. So the Giants need their offensive line to play better if they really want to unleash what Saquon Barkley has the potential to be. And what he has the potential to be is probably a top five running back, you know, of all time. He has that kind of talent. He's that kind of a transcendent star as Garrett's coming. Oh, in. there he Look is. Look at this. But oh my God. Saquon Barkley, he needs to do better. Yeah. So Gavin, we're talking about Saquon one sec. So, uh, well, the offensive yeah, again, line needs to do better to get Saquon. You yeah, so again, I've never, when looking at a team or looking at an offense, stuff like that, I've never really heard any analysts say, oh, well, the running back needs to do better. Like, the, I've never seen an offensive line say, be really good, have a good game, but the, the running back just didn't go through the right holes. So that's just kind of been my whole MO for, for a while now is that you invest in the offensive line and then you let them break up the holes and – Whoever, no name behind me running the ball, just go hit him, and that's it. And I'll live to see that day, and, and I'm not going to pay him a lot. And that's just something that where, again, we can knock Saquon statistically, and, again, not knocking him as a player because he's awesome. There's no doubt about that. But it's just the fact that if the offensive line isn't there, then what, what are we doing? Again, like you said, you could, you could have no one behind you. You could have Barry Sanders, but it's not going to do anything. And I, and I blame, and we're going to welcome in Garrett in a second. I'm very excited Garrett's here. Um, just, to, just to wrap it up on Barkley like the, and the offensive line, they, they, any offense in the NFL needs an offensive line to perform. You need to win the battle of the trenches. Without a and, doubt. And, you know, Barkley, he didn't, he didn't even have any holes. He had nowhere to go. Garrett, what, did you see any of the Giants game or did you have class? Uh, I did watch some of the Giant game. And it what was, was your, uh, on what work. Was your analysis? My analysis? Um, well, I thought Daniel Jones actually played very well, in my opinion. I think, back to what Matt was saying with Saquon Barkley, um, I still think um, – so we, we got into this argument where, like, where it's uh, – where if the Giants were to start off 0-6, right? Mm-hmm that uh, would you consider trading Saquon Barkley? We prefaced this uh, uh, last week's episode. Yeah. Oh, you did? Okay, well, I'll bring it up right I'll just touch upon it right here. And um, I think a lot of Giant fans are like, no, you can't, you can't trade away Saquon Barkley. He's like, I don't think you should trade him away this year. He's like, I think, I think you have to wait till the whole puzzle is, is kind of set. And I think Saquon is in the – is in the um, – the plans, but seeing just today from the game, uh, I, I think there's still a lot of work for, with the offensive line. And the thing is, uh, is if you did trade Saquon Barkley, can you use those picks to help build that line for Daniel Jones? And uh, you can go out and you can find a, a new running back. I mean, it doesn't have to be Saquon Barkley. You just got to yeah. have someone that can block with him, block for him. I mean, Garrett, I think you make a great point. The Chiefs built their team perfectly, and the Giants really built their team backwards. They had no offensive line when they drafted Saquon Barkley. They had an aging quarterback, and they had a team that wasn't ready to win. You look at the Chiefs, they had, you know, a fantastic season last year. They won the Super Bowl. They don't really need to make any adjustments. The only thing they really need to do in the offseason is lock up their core long-term, and what do they do in the first round? They get Hilaire and finally get that running back. So you don't really need a running back to win in this NFL. That Hilaire pick was kind of like – it wasn't like a need for the, for the Chiefs. It was kind of like a fuck you NFL. Yes, so, I was just I, about to say that. 
Well, you you can go back to uh, to what was it, 2014, where they drafted like Fisher was that his name, the o lineman. Do you remember oh, when the Chiefs had oh, the first the Chiefs, pick yeah, and they yeah, went O line? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, every I bet you everyone was like, "Whoa, what are they doing? What are they doing?" Well, that guy played a huge role in uh, I mean, uh, winning a a championship. The Chiefs went to the trenches. They they found they got an offensive line. Then they went and they got their quarterback. And uh, if you look, Matt brought it up too. It was like he went back and watched all the Super Bowl teams who, and who were their running backs. What was their salary cap? Rather than Marshawn Lynch, there was no one else. I mean, there was nothing. I mean, Damien Williams, uh, uh, Sony Michelle. Um, who was the fa- uh, How about when the Falcons went to the Super Bowl and lost? Who was who was their running back? Devontae Freeman. That was before he got Devontae paid. Freeman. I was like, I mean, it's. You, you, I mean, you gotta. It all starts with the O line. It's like I don't. Yeah. I just don't believe in. Paying unless unless a running back is your uh, is your missing piece, and that's what you need to win a Super Bowl. Then uh, I then yeah I, I agree you pay him. But other than that, I think if you have holes, you gotta you gotta fix the holes first. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, all these teams you can go on and on and on. The running back was really that last guy, and you look mm-hmm. no further than this year with the Chiefs. Hilaire is that last guy who they really don't even need because they won the Super yeah. Bowl last year without him. Um, but, you know, we could talk all we want about the negatives of the Giants and how it was really a frustrating loss for them as we, we lost Garrett for a second. But it, it was a game they could have <laughs> stolen, but, but they didn't. Garrett's back. And they, they, they could have stolen it, but they didn't. But at the end of the day, if you want to look at it as an optimist, and, I, and that's not me as a sports fan. I'm the ultimate pessimist. Mm. You guys know this. But if you want to look at the positives, Daniel Jones did look very good other than those you know, two mistakes on the T.J. Watt interception and the interception down the end zone. So if you're a Giants fan, you got to look at what Daniel Jones was able to accomplish today, even though they didn't get the win. It was kind of frustrating. And you, mm-hmm. you got to be confident that, you know, more and more that this is probably the guy of the future. Yeah, so just kind of building off that, and like you were saying, they obviously didn't steal the win. And the way a lot of times that I look at a schedule, and this is something that one of my, my favorite – probably beat reporters ever Omar Kelly for the Dolphins always says every team and, and every schedule is almost constructed for the team to go eight and eight and then when I, I look at it in that perspective and I start thinking I'm like all right so what happens then from that eight and eight is all right you see four guaranteed losses so for the AFC side we played the Seahawks you play the Chiefs you play the 49ers so we're just like all right for for Jets and Dolphins that's four for three guaranteed losses whatever it may be and then you see, all right, you count off a couple of guaranteed wins. And then I think this was a game for the Giants where it was right in the middle. It was that toss-up. So you win this game, then maybe you go that 9-7, and seven, maybe that 10-6. and six. And then also you lose it, then this is where the, hey, maybe you go that 7-9. and nine. So it kind of makes you basically now to get back to even have to go steal one from those, like, unwinnable games uh, per se. Yeah. And I don't think anyone really thought that the Giants would win this game. I think they were – six point dogs by the time it kicked off, but they shown me things and, you know, they have next week, they have a Chicago bears team, which is not nearly the team that Pittsburgh is. And mm-hmm. who knows, maybe they can go into Chicago and, you know, shut things down. And, you know, Mitchell Trubisky isn't, you know, everybody's favorite quarterback. And, you know, the bears are a little bit of a fortunate team right now because they lucked out against the uh, lions with that mm-hmm. drop at the end and we'll, we'll get yeah. into, well, maybe we'll get into that towards the end of the show when we get through the, the rest of the giants game and then the dolphins game and the jets game. But you know, 
it, it was a frustrating loss, and I'm yeah. not expecting the Giants to do much. I, if they can win six to seven games this year, I'd be thrilled. But, you know, 26-16, a couple, the ball bounces a couple other ways. The Giants steal that, and they didn't, and that's kind of frustrating. Mm-hmm. I, I think if, if, if yeah, you look ahead. at it mm-hmm. – oh, I'm sorry. Uh, if you look at it, I was like, I think with weapon-wise, I think the Giants have more weapons – Right. Would yeah. you agree? Would you say the Giants have a little bit more they, weapons? I think Maybe Daniel Jones has a plethora of weapons. I think Golden Tate was out with a hamstring. They have they still, Evan Ingram. Still had yeah. Names, yeah. They have Evan Ingram who needs to catch the ball. He has, he has a tendency to drop passes. I mean, of course you have Barkley. And this kid, Darius Slayton, came on the scene. I don't recall. Was he drafted or was he undrafted? If anything, he was a late-round draft pick. He might have been an undrafted free agent. He's really like come up and- even like leaving him out though i was like i mean you look at like look at what happened to the steelers how like how um um like they lost Le'Veon bell they lost antonio brown uh they lost all these good guys but i mean like, they were always able to stay relevant just because yeah. not only they had big ben they have one of the best um pass blocking uh, run blocking teams in, in the nfl so i mean you can always um stay relevant and and competitive when you when you can do that, and especially you know their side of the the other side of the football defensively, like they're physical and they and they play good defense, and they get turnovers, and uh, that's let's how not they're forget, always able to stay. Let's not forget Juju Smith Schuster. He was he was he had a huge game. And, oh no, Juju's good. I'm not taking that away from him. And let's let's talk about Ben for a second. I throughout the entire like off season looking at this week one game and especially today, I was like, I'm not. I don't think Ben's going to play well, and he was rusty in the first half. But when he needed to make a play, Garrett, he did. Yep. Yeah. So seeing it's going off of Juju too, I, I was really thinking that I don't think there's going to be a happier person to have Big Ben back than Juju Smith-Schuster. Again, he, he kind of again wasn't really his fault, but you had Duck Hodges last year throwing to you. You had uh, Mason Rudolph throwing to you. Two guys that are just, they're not very good. Again, they still somehow scraped away eight wins. But now he comes in, you got Big Ben throwing to him, two touchdowns right off the bat. And just it, it was really, uh, really cool to see that Big Ben really, again, after week one, is not washed by any means. Again, rusty, yeah, right off the bat, but nothing wrong with that. At the end of the day, you battle through all fourth quarters and you give me that performance, I'd ride with Big Ben on my team any day. I agree. And I think a lot of credit has to go to Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin, no matter who's on that team over the last 14 years, he's been the coach there. He's always had his teams ready. And I think a lot of Big Ben's success, especially tonight against the Giants, should be credited to Mike Tomlin, Garrett. He, he's a really good head coach in the NFL. It's, yeah, I would say Mike Tomlin's a guy that, for some reason, I feel like is always on the hot seat. And I just don't know why. It's one of those things that year in, year out, he just always seems to be on the hot seat, at least when you watch ESPN and NFL Network and stuff like that. But, again, he's just he looks like just a great coach. And like we talked about last week with coaches, he just looks like a great leader of men. And that's just – that's two checks right there. And I got I, the same thing. I'd ride with him as my head coach too. Let's move on from one New York team that lost by 10 points to the other New York team that lost by 10 points. I don't think you can get more of a different – 10-point loss than these two teams had, the Giants and Jets. Because the very, Giants, very you look at the different. Giants game, and you're looking at their 10-point loss, and you're saying, oh, they had a lot of chances to actually win this game. You look at the Jets' 10-point loss to Buffalo, and you're like, how the hell was it only 10 points? They could have lost this game by 40 points, Garrett. I mean, Gase 
I honestly, when horrible. that first started off, and then Sam Donald Garrett, he really looked like he took a step back. I mean, the Jets ended the season six and two last year, going into the season with all this momentum. Supposedly, like this is what the Jets are. The Jets are the are the six and two team, not the one and seven team, and they completely just laid an egg against Buffalo week one. So, what I think is, I mean, I did not see at all a good game from Sam Darnold. I was saying, in fact, it was actually very bad. The if I had to look at a positive, it was like if it was very bad, he still finished with a touchdown, one interception, and had two over two hundred yards. But there were so many throws that I saw, and and there was drop passes, but there were so many passes that you you came and count on one hand that he missed, and it looked like he was, and and you came and blamed the O line because yeah, there was a little bit more pressure in his face, but he had a pocket, and uh. What scares me is that uh, it looked like he wasn't comfortable back there for some reason, and uh, he did some things that you think a rookie quarterback would make, and that scares me. But again, I'm, I, I, I think it's just a, a shitty situation. Oh God, my bad. It's a crappy situation. Just like when you don't, I think you just need a head coach that needs to get more creative with the playbook because I think he has he has enough weapons, and I think he has an, a, a better line than people think, and. Uh, I, I, until they can make that uh, decision, I, I, I can. Darnold won't be a quarterback in this league for much longer. Twenty-one of thirty-five, two hundred fifteen <clears throat> yards, a touchdown, interception, a nineteen point three QBR. Matt, um, is this Darnold or is this Gase? Uh, you hate so, Gase. So yeah. So going back and watching the game, and again, I'm, I'm not the biggest Darnold fan, but from what I saw, and again, I didn't see every missed pass and stuff like that. It looked like the O line was pretty bad. And again, it, it's 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 so tough because, like Gary was saying, he did have a pocket though for a good amount of the game. So when and it, under those circumstances, you got to understand. All right, I don't have the wall of China in front of me, so I have to make do with what I got because there's still again. You look at Russell Wilson. There's all every year he he's been like leading the the lead the league and getting sacked, but he's still Russell Wilson. And then just uh, you saw just with, with the Jets and just their offense that. It just it just looks so so stagnant again with Gase being this offensive guru and this uh, QB whisperer. It's like like what what are we like what are we waiting for? Like when is it gonna turn on right now? And then as far as like Gary was saying with the weapons, if if the excuse was oh we don't have any weapons, then I think that's horseshit because you could have just signed Robbie Anderson for ten million dollars and and he balled out with, with uh, the Panthers. He had a good game one. So if that's the excuse that people give to Don that he has no weapons. I think that's that's horseshit because you can go find a good enough wide receiver. Battle line, all right, maybe I, I can get behind that a little bit because, all right, you got a, a, a rookie first-rounder in, in Becton at left tackle, and the rest of the other line was kind of lower price, uh, low risk, high reward kind of guys. But at some point, yeah, maybe you have to go pay a Conklin $10-plus million or you have to go pay uh, a Glasnow $10-plus million, and you have to drop the bank on some of these guys because you need a sure thing. And you don't really have the luxury, same thing with Darnold, kind of coming towards the end of his contract in a couple of years of wasting his time. Because, again, you're going to have to pay him. And whether how good he or bad he does, pretty good some amount of money. So you're going to have to figure it out pretty soon. And I think this is definitely the year where, where Gase is going to be on the hot seat a little bit. There's something think- that Gase said, and Garrett, I'm going give to you, give you the floor in a second. Something Gase said after the game. He was like, looking back – on what the Bills were doing defensively, I wouldn't change my play calling. Now, when you lose as badly as you did, and then you come out post game, 
and you say, I wouldn't change anything as a coach in terms of play calling. Garrett, how frustrating is that when everybody's screaming and pitching and screaming about the play call? It it seem it seems like though every game it just it's like I wouldn't change anything. It's execution. If you really if you really pay attention to the into the plays, there's just no creativity at all. It's like you're not. It's like they have bells. Like they say you can use them in the slot. They're not using them anyway. It's just they're kind of just using him to run up the middle on second and ten. I was like, and you just don't see any any like you don't see picks or any. You see nothing of like nothing that could be creative, and 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 it shows. And getting back uh, to the whole uh, – in the whole team, I mean, I don't know if you guys know this, but, like, Joe Douglas didn't want to come to – he's the GM of the Jets. So, he didn't want to come to the Jets. He's like, and if he was going to come, he's like, he demanded a five-year contract because he said it's going to take this long to fix this team. He's like, he's not going to be able to fix this and do short-term fixes uh, like, like these other GMs did. And I, I think – and it sucks because – it's like, is Darnold going to be your guy? Like, there hasn't been any weapons around him. Like, they didn't protect him for a while. It's like, his contract's going to come up. You still don't have a good look at him. It's like, do you, do you continue uh, giving him the chance until this roster is set up? But the Jets are still, I mean, I would say three years away to even being a competitive team if, if the guy knows what he's doing. Yeah, I'm going to just, just kind of just chime in there a little bit. And just this is just a, a quote from, from Flores, again, after their – Pretty bad loss too. He just said, "There are a lot of obviously a lot of issues setting the edge. The QB read plays. Who got the QB? There's some miscommunication. We had a couple uh, bad calls here and there. It was a plethora of things we get we have to work on, and we'll work on all week. Again, that falls on me. So you see where one coach taking the accountability, and then the other coach Gase that I've seen all the time just deflect, deflect, deflect. It's not my fault. Ah, I would have done the same thing. Like how could you possibly say, hey, I would have done done the same thing?" It, it just doesn't make sense to me. And the, the Jets need to just get rid of him. It's just – it's crazy. And, again, you have Greg Williams, who I think would be a great head coach, or at least mm-hmm. a lot better than Gase. And I think a lot of Jets – and, Garrett, correct me if I'm wrong – would rather have Greg Williams uh, yep. taking the reins. I say it all the time. Now, how, how much longer are the leashes on Gase and Darnold? Because, as you said, you got you, you to gotta pick one or the other. Because, you know, Darnold, he looks like he's taking uh, a step back, especially in this game against Buffalo. But at the same time, how many, how many more times are we going to, like, expect anything from Adam Gase? I feel like it's a catch-22 where this organization is eventually going to have to say, we're going to have to go with Gase or we're going to have to go with Darnold because obviously this marriage isn't working. So, Garrett, what's the leash on Gase at this point? Do you think he's going to the leash this is- year? Or do you think he's, he's a guy that's going to finish out his contract? The, the leash is right on Adam Gase, and it's very short. I think, uh, I think at the end of the day, Darnold was still 20 years old when he came to this league, and he's been in three years, and he's only 23. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's only 23, so I was like, I think if you, if you go into the tape, I mean, you see very impressive things of Darnold, of showing his mobility and making some good throws. He's like, but you also see very questionable games, like very – very worrisome games. So I was like, I think just be him still being young. I still think you have to see that through because he has, he has, he has talent with his arm is like, and, and the way he moves is like, and I think you just got to pair him up with a guy who doesn't, who, who, who can help him get more creative and help him utilize his, uh, his uh, tools. And uh, I think, I think Darnold will play out his, his whole year before it, uh, his whole contract, and I think I think he'll be signed to another contract, and I think Gase is gone this year. If not, if not during the season, 
Do you think there's a possibility he, mid-season they fire him, or do you think that doesn't I, that, that doesn't do anything? Uh, no, I think it does a lot because I think if you because look at Greg Williams. I I mean, everyone was praising Baker Mayfield when they fired um, what's his name? Hugh Jackson. Uh, what was his name? Was it Hugh Jackson when they yeah, Hugh Jackson and then Greg yeah. Williams stepped in and Baker Mayfield showed a lot more improvement. Is like and then. Greg Williams left and they got, they brought in their own guy. And then Baker just went completely down again. I was like, I think, I think if, if, and I think that's, I think they look, they see that. And I think like if Adam Gase, if you see Darnold getting worse and worse and just, and, and really just going downhill, I think they'll pull the trigger and uh, they'll, they'll ask Greg Williams to finish the rest of the season and see how, how he plays. I, I So while we're on the topic of, of Greg Williams, again, I didn't watch the whole Jets game, but I watched a good portion of it. And, it looked like that the Jets front kind of four there, right on the defensive line, couldn't get any pressure. I mean, I saw so many times Josh Allen was just sitting back, sitting back, sitting back, sitting back. Then finally, they kind of schemed up some. You brought Marcus May for a couple sacks. But it seemed like they could only get pressure when they had to blitz one, two, maybe even three guys. And you see that the most successful teams like the 49ers, even partially the Steelers today, they can still get pressure on you with three or four guys. And that's when, when they bring that fifth or, or sixth guy, then it, it's 100% going to be a sack or some sort of disruptive play. So I was curious your take on the front four for the Jets and their pressure. Um, I mean, if you follow, if you read the beat writers, what they say, they haven't had a, a, a real known pass rusher since John Abraham. I mean, I think that, that draft was 2005, who they <laughs> traded away, of course, along with <laughs> – Every other, every other great talent they brought in. It's like John Abraham, Darrell Revis, uh, Jamal Adams. I was like, what about the years guys? with uh, Wilkerson and uh, uh, Muhammad Wilkerson and uh, uh, the guy the Giants have right now? Oh, uh, Leonard Williams? Yeah, Le- yeah, Leonard Williams. Yeah, I mean, Leonard Williams, I was like, I mean, yeah, but Leonard Williams didn't, I mean, he was, he, he didn't really do much, like, as a Jet. I mean, That's he fair. didn't get sacks. And the jet the Jets want guys who can get after the quarterback, and I think Leonard Williams struggled with that. Is like Muhammad Wilkerson, he had a he had a good year. I mean, and then he got paid or whatever, and then uh he went downhill too. I was like, and the Jets decided to pay Sheldon Richardson and Muhammad Wilkerson, and they let uh Damon Harrison go. And it turns out that Damon Harrison, you should have kept him the whole time. And uh I mean probably should have cut the other two. It's like again, it's a culture thing. It's like you gotta you got to get guys in there that, that breathe football, that want to play football and want to win and want to be part of, a, of an organization. And uh, I think you're not seeing a lot of that. But so I think Joe Douglas can make that change. I think uh, he's, he's done it. I mean, he's worked with the Ravens. He put together the Ravens team, was a big part of that. Um, and, hopefully, I mean, you got to hope that they bring in the right guy and uh, we'll see what happens. It's like, but, yeah, that. the pass rushing has definitely been a – question mark for the last uh 15 years my main thing with Gase and the Jets and my problem with them is that Adam Gase can't inspire me to get out of bed in the morning he's the most (laughs) bland monotone boring person and when you have a young quarterback a 23 year old you need like a guy that's going to kick his ass and like inspire him and like get him determined to be a better player. Because, you know, at 23, the maturation, you're you're not quite, you know, Tom Brady at 40 now yet. So 
you, you, you see his press conferences and you see the things that he says, and there's just nothing to this guy. I think the Jets would be better off. And I'll think – and the Jets hiring him got panned immediately. So this is not like a second guess. This is a guy that just I, – I can't coach at all. I saw um, someone on ESPN. I can't remember who. But he said, I wouldn't let Adam Gage, Gage coach 12-year-old football players. Like oh, a youth yeah. team. I saw, yeah, I saw that too. I the, the guy's just terrible. And I think I, – Garrett, I think you're right. I think a change of – change of scenery for the Jets head coach I, I, wise. And that's gonna be frustrating because they seem to change coaches every year. If it's it went from Rex Ryan to Todd Bowles to now Adam Gase. They can't get that consistent leader. And that's really a problem because it just feeds into that same old Jets kind of rhetoric and kind of like um kind of system that they run there. And I mean I think you even with the Giants, I was like I think I mean the Giants have, have have two Super Bowls in the last, I mean, whatever years. It's like, I mean, like they, as as much as it has, that they struggled over these last, I mean, couple years. Like, they're still like that culture is still there. You know what I mean? I was like, the Jets, that culture has never really, it's never been there. It's like they, I mean, they don't know what it's like to win a Super Bowl or whatever. And I think just stepping in as a, as a Jet quarterback, I mean, like you kind of just, it's almost like you expect things just to go bad. No matter how talented you are, it's just like it's just the, you just the way wait. you just wait for that same the, old Jets kind of mantra. Yeah, and and the thing is, it, it, like even as a Jet fan, you hate hearing it, but like it's true. I was like, it's just same old Jets. It's like it starts with ownership, it starts with the front office, and I mean, like, and it just trickles down to the to the players. It's like it doesn't even people are like, oh, they passed on Patrick Mahomes, but you know what? If Patrick Mahomes played for the Jets, he probably wouldn't. He probably. I mean, he wouldn't be holding up a, a the Lombardi Trophy. He'd probably be on his way out too. Yeah, you know. and you can say like same just, thing, different sport, New York Knicks, they were one spot away from getting Steph Curry, and everyone's like, oh, what if Steph Curry, you know, fell to the Knicks? What if the Warriors didn't pick him up at 9 and the Knicks got him at 10? Well, if the Knicks got him at 10, maybe he's not Steph Curry. Maybe he's just like this bum because everybody yeah. on the Knicks is a bum, and everybody on the Jets, the same thing, turns out to be a bum. Because, <laughs> you know, Sanchez, first-round pick, bust. Geno Smith. A uh, very early second round pick bust. Sam Darnold really not cutting it so far in his first three years in the NFL. So the Jets have a culture issue. And Garrett, I'm going to disagree with you on the Giants not having a culture issue. This is a team now that's on their third head coach since Tom Coughlin. And they've lost more games than any other team in football the last three years. So eventually, you know, yeah. those Super Bowl pedigrees from 2007 and 2011, they're gone at some point. This is not the same team. None of the players from those two championships are there anymore. Both New York teams have this really, really, really bad culture of losing. And they have kind of this, you know, expectation to lose. And that's not the way New York franchises should be yeah. at all. I, and I, I feel like should... in terms of the Giants and the Jets, I trust – Joe Judge turning that around more just based yeah. on what he says and his ambiance and his character and the way he carries himself more than this, you know, clown Adam Gase. I, I shouldn't have said like culture probably because I mean, like Giants have struggled. I mean, and I mean, I, both it, New York teams are complete laughingstock over the last three, four years. Oh, hundred percent. But I just, th but I think with, with the Giants, there's more, there's more like expectation. It's like, it's like, it's almost like the Yankees. It's it's like Optimism. it's like a giant way. It's like I, I was like I mean we've won Super Bowls. I was like we they you guys have there's four you guys have won four Super Bowls. You're up there with the Steelers and the Patriots and stuff like that. It's like 
the Giants have a winning have a winning tradition. You know what I mean? So I think when you step in there, that's what you expect. You step in with the Jets. I mean, you kind of just think. Uh, I mean, it's just like, oh boy, like how long am I going to last like, before this ship sinks? And Garrett, as a Jets fan, and Matt, I'm going to give you the floor in one second. But Garrett, as a Jets fan, how infuriating is it for you to you know have those you know, like that culture problem and have that you know we're just we're the same old Jets. We're just going to be these losers and get a guy like Adam Gase who hasn't really won anything and not get someone like a Mike McCarthy who won a Super Bowl with the Packers. Again, I think it's the best examples. Like uh, Woody Johnson, Woody Johnson leaves, Chris Johnson hops in. He's like, and, and you grab a coach from Miami who didn't pan out, didn't have a, did, I mean, I mean, players hated, like, I mean, guys were, there's guys, I mean, that were so excited to get off his team to be traded and just leave. I was like, and the, and it's again, it's, it starts with ownership. It's like, and, and they just hire him. It's like, and they, and they passed up on Mike McCarthy and they passed up on, on the chiefs offensive coordinator. I was like, and it's, you're just like, how? It was like, what, what did Gase do in Miami? It's like Matt, you, you have to you, you have to really laugh at the Jets, Matt, because you know you the the Dolphins fire Gase, right? Mm. And the Jets, you know, within thirty minutes, within a half hour, hire him on the spot. Basically, now this is not a guy who kind of resigned and had success. This is a guy that was legit fired. Like mm. you're fired for a reason because you failed, because you weren't good, because you were not successful, and the Jets just hire him. I mean, you know Adam Gase just as much as we do. Like, how, like, head-scratching is this that the Jets gave him this chance? Yeah, so, again, it just – it was so confused. Like you said, it felt like it was 30 minutes later. It seemed as if clearly the Jets wanted Gase. They, they wanted him really, really badly. And then right when the Dolphins let him go, they're, right, we want him. And, and it's just very interesting to see because you have seen how Gase has played against the Bills and he hasn't had success, how he's played against the Patriots and he really hasn't had any success. The only team he seems to have success against is maybe the Jets a handful of times. But there was really no success in, in the grand scheme of things uh, after him being the OC for Peyton Manning. And then just kind of you look at Adam Gase as the head coach of the New York Jets, and then I think about just like we were saying before with, with kind of New York sports and stuff like that. Like what is the draw to come to New York right now? Because you don't really see it. Again, like you, obviously you got Le'Veon Bell with, with a, a big signing – but, like, at least for, for the Giants and Jets right now, it's like, like, who wants to be in New York? And that's what I kind of want to just throw on you guys. Like, if you're a big-name free agent, like, what is bringing you to the Jets and what is bringing you to the Giants? I don't really think anything is bringing me to the Jets or Giants because, you know, these kids now that are entering the NFL and getting into free agency, they're not old enough to remember when, you know, the Jets – had you know Curtis Martin and they were making the AFC championship in 98 they're not old enough to really remember the Giants Super Bowl in 2007 because that was you know that was like 13 14 years ago now so there really isn't an appeal to New York anymore because everybody's going to want to go to you know the New Englands where the culture is winning to like the Chiefs where you have Patrick Mahomes and also you don't really need New York City to build a brand anymore the way the world is now with technology and social media. And we get into mm-hmm. this like, discussion about – we can get into this discussion about baseball as well, but we'll kick, stick it with football. You don't need New York City anymore to really build yourself up. You can make your name anywhere. Yeah, I think I, you, you make a probably greatest point I've heard in a while that you, don't, you, you shouldn't have to sell your, your team as the New York Giants or the New York Jets. Like, you got to be – you're the Jets – you're, you're the Giants. And then sell that, if you get what I'm saying with that. 
But I, you can't think- sell that anymore because if you try to sell it, you're going to lose because the Giants, since 2011, when they won the Super Bowl, they made it to the playoffs one time, and that was that one ten and 6 or 11-5, whatever it was, McAdoo year, where they took the picture on the boat and then it got blown out by the Packers <laughs> in the wildcard game. And then the Jets haven't been in the playoffs in 10 years when they made it to back-to-back AFC championship games with Rex Ryan. So the entire last decade, the whole 2010s, have been an absolute nightmare ever since the, you know, the Giants you know, won the Super Bowl that second time. They've been a complete you know, mess. Both teams, both New York teams have have combined for one playoff game in since 2012. And that was that Packer game for the Giants. MetLife Stadium has been open for 10 years. That's a whole decade. They have hosted one playoff game. And that was that wildcard game the Giants had against the Falcons in 2011. The Jets have never hosted a playoff game at MetLife Stadium. And both teams just don't have the culture that we in the New York bubble kind of think they are. Like we in the New York bubble look at these New York teams as the upper echelon teams in their respective sports. But a kid in Florida doesn't feel that way. A kid in Texas doesn't give a damn about, you know, New York City. So there's the city is not appealing anymore, in my opinion. It's the only thing to be appealing to these kids and to these free, agent, free agents is winning. And neither team does that. Yeah, I mean, I think to to a certain extent, though, that that makes sense. But I think putting it aside of just be playing for the New York Jets and New York Giants, like I think people do, like even without football reasons, people might enjoy, I mean, coming to New York City and just being able to just, I mean, live there. You yeah, know but is I that mean? gonna is that make that much of a difference as a free agent? Oh, I mean, I I mean, I guess you would. I mean, I feel like there would have to be some type of survey for that or something. Like that. I mean, I couldn't. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like you would have to like, like Patrick Mahomes just dedicated guys. the next ten years of his life to live in Missouri. Like yeah, it doesn't. You know the New York money, City doesn't matter anymore. But money, money talks, right? I mean, when you get a half a billion dollars, like I mean, I don't care where I'm going. I was like, I mean, I got a half a billion dollars. I was like, I mean, I'll go, I'll go to Alaska if that's the case. Yeah, but at the <laughs> end of the day. At the end of the day, it's building a winning culture and it's drafting yeah. right and it's picking the right players and it's picking the right coaches and it's picking the right quarterbacks. And New York, both teams yeah. haven't done that so far. And you know what? That's how I feel with the, with the Jets because, like, I mean, if you, if you, if you look at it, like, bef- be after the Rex Ryan era, like when he went to the back-to-back AFC championships, before that, the Jets were never really a laughing stock. I was like, they were – I mean, they, they, they had an offense that moved the ball, right, that didn't have all these problems. Like, they weren't – I mean, they weren't crazy good. But with Chad Pennington, like, Curtis Martin, I mean, 98, they made the AFC Championship. Like, they, they really weren't a joke. They made the playoffs like, in the early 2000s, the 03s, 04s. Yeah, and, I was like, they were always right under, there. Under Mangini in 06, I think they won. Yeah. They went to the playoffs. So they weren't ever terrible. But ever since Rex Ryan left, yeah, they brought just, in Bowles and now it's Gaze. It's crazy. It's, it's been good. crazy. It's like it's like now it's like now they went they they really after that last AFC Championship run they they've really just I mean they've hit they've hit rock bottom almost and they and they can't crawl out of it. It's like and again I don't know what who to blame with it. I was like but and you see now I mean players back then probably wouldn't have mind going to the Jets in free agency, but now it's like it's almost like they use them to 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 kind of get more money. It's like and, and will and uh, Nadal can say. Ndamukongsu was a good example that they he kind of just used the Jets to kind of just raise his value up, and it worked. Is like and uh, and that's what happens when you have a culture like that. You just get used. And it's it's a shame because you know 
New York is such a big market. And if these two teams can be competitive, I mean, the city would go crazy. I mean, how amazing would, you know, uh, you know, we talked the subway series in 2000 with the Yankees and Mets. How crazy would it be those two weeks in New York if the Giants and Jets were in the Super Bowl at the same time? Like, that would be insane. Like, the city would, like, go, would, like, catch on fire. That's how insane it would be. Um, but it, it's rough because, you know, neither New York team is close to winning anything right now. And it's a shame because a lot of teams that, you know, aren't in the market that New York is are ready to win the ch- championship. And the Chiefs are the best example because you can't compare Kansas City to New York City. You can't compare New- Missouri to this, you know, tri-state area market. It's completely different, but they have the good football team and we don't. And it's frustrating. But, you know, we're gonna, we'll move on to Matt's Dolphins because – uh, it was it, that was a rough game, and you must be as frustrated or this feel the same same kind of frustration that I feel as a Giants fan with the game that just happened because you know you kind of walked you kind of went into that game with a little bit of optimism. You know, Tom Brady's not there. Cam Newton wasn't good last year with the Panthers. He got shipped out of town. So you're probably looking at this game like, hey, we can steal one against a Patriots team that's not going to be the same. But Cam Newton played very well in his debut, and the Dolphins' offense can only muster 11 points. Yeah, so just with the whole game, again, like you said, going into it, you're like, all right, yeah, Tony Romo and Jim Nance announcing the game. So clearly in the eyes of the media – CBS brought the number ones out. That's what I mean. This was a big game. And they kind of laid a goose egg. And we we can use the excuse of, like, all right, like, new system, but it wasn't. For for Fitzpatrick, this is his fifth or sixth year in Changeli's system. So I was really disappointed offensively with kind of what they were doing. It just – very, it just looked good at times, and then it just went totally flat. Like, you scored, what, like three points in the first half, and it's like you're not going to beat a Patriots team like that. You're just not. And then uh, defensively, specifically the rush defense, I was very, very, very disappointed. I mean, you invested in guys like Shaq Lawson. You invested in guys like Emmanuel Agba. You drafted Raekwon Davis in the second round. You invested in guys like Landon Roberts as a linebacker. And so a lot of this money was invested into the defense, and they couldn't stop the run. And the same kind of game plan that the Patriots use of pretty much just running down your throat, why aren't the Bills with, with their mobile quarterback and Josh Allen, they're going to do the same thing now. So, again, it, it was a very – almost a little alarming. Again, I'm not hitting the panic button just yet, but like you said, a lot, lot, very emotional. I really wanted that statement kind of game win, get on the map with division win in Foxborough again, and they kind of just – they went flat. The, the thing that scares me – uh, with the Dolphins, I was like, I was like, you see, last year that they completely, um, they completely like sold the, sold away their team, which was like, mm. it was like we're rebuilding right now. It's like we got to get ready. It's like, and you think like a rebuilding process probably takes about what would you say? What, what would you be your two, guesstimate? Uh, my my two to my four thing, years. I would even say two to three. I would say I, I would say yeah, I'd say three. three to four. Yeah, three. I think three is a good I'd number. I'd say three. I so I think the way they went into free agency, I feel like they just they they, I think it's almost like they were trying to win now. I feel like, yeah, and that, that's that's fair. That's what scares me though. I, I think that's it's like almost like a quick fix. Like let's get good now rather than let's just keep let's just hold on to our money. Let's let's have like tryout years right now. See who can stay, who can play, whatever. And I was like, and we'll and we'll we'll piece around the money. I mean. The, the, for people that we want to keep. I was like, I so, think like you see these guys now that they're being, um, I was like, it's almost like they're trying to like be competitive right now rather than like, let's just work our way into it. So to, to rebut that a little bit, 
And so, again, uh, agree to, to some extent. And you look at, all right, Byron Jones was the longest contract they offered someone and got. And it was five years. And you have Xavier Howard locked up for another three to four. Agba was a three-year deal. Shaq Lawson was a three-year deal. Obviously, the rookies are going to be four years at the minimum. And some of the other deals, though, however, you look at Ted Karras, uh, the center, he's a one-year deal. Alandon Roberts, linebacker, he's a one-year deal. So they did have that kind of mix. And you saw that the positions of desperate need, cornerback, defensive line, they said, all right, we're giving you three or more deals. So to me, their window might not necessarily be this year. It's going to be those tryout for those linebacker guys, like I said before, and especially the offensive line. But the the positions that they value the most, I guess, so cornerback and defensive line, it's going to be those three years, and those are the years that you're going to have to compete, per se. I I mean, I, yeah, I, I agree. I was like, I think – I honestly, I, I think a corner cornerback is the most – I think along with defensive end, as I think to kind of – have like a real shutdown cornerback that takes away one side of the field. And I think that's important to have. I think it was just kind of other signings. Just like, it just feels like it was too, it was like, we have salary cap. It's almost like, let's, let's spend it right now. Let's spend it right now or whatever, rather than like, let's just build through the draft first. It was like, and then when we're ready and we feel like we're ready and then we got our young talent or whatever, like let's start making free agent signings now is like, that can help us get us over the top. Um, also, well, just saying that, I was like, I also have go. to. Uh, I'm sorry, I have to pick up my brother. It's like, so I'm gonna have <laughs> to like bounce after that. <laughs> so I'm gonna try to join back in. So you can go off what You're I good. said. Thanks, Gary. I got you. I got you. Right, yeah, with sorry, the cameo, guys. love that. Yeah. So that Matt, was... let me ask you this. Okay, I know you're saying you're not like picking up the panic button, right? But you're, you you told me your brother is. Yeah. Now, ha- has your timeline for the two a debut has that moved up or has that stayed the same? So going off that again, and, I, and right off the bat, I was like, I want to, I want to slow cook to a, maybe not even play this year at all. That was, I swore by those words. And then it turned into, or I said last week, week 13 against the Bengals. I was like, not nervous in a bad way, but that like nervous, anxious, exciting because Fitzpatrick threw three picks. If he would have thrown Another one, even say throw three in the first half, I was like gripping my couch. I was like, holy shit. I was like, is it, is it, is it two a time right now? Like, is this actually happening? And I think it was kind of cool to, to, to see that from a fan's perspective is that he's QB2 right now. Mm-hmm. And he is uh, 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 rolled up ankle away from getting in there. So I think it's something that I need to accept and the fans need to accept that, hey, you might see him earlier than, than you may want. And when the time comes, hey, we, we've invested him, so let's see what we got. Again, I still would rather have him learn the system, perfect the system best way he can in practice, stuff like that, and then go show what he's got. But like I said also uh, last week, if Fitzpatrick is the sole reason you're losing games, then, hey, maybe, maybe you can just switch up there, and then it is what it is, and then we, we rock with two, and then see what we got. 20 for 30, 191 yards, three interceptions, no touchdowns, QBR of 72.6 for Fitzpat. I mean, that's, that's not great. Um, the reason I feel like the only thing holding back Tua, assuming that he's 100% healthy, the only thing holding back Tua to me is that the Dolphins feel like they have a window to win this year and they feel like Fitzpatrick gives them the best opportunity to win. If that's not the case and they think they're better off, even if Tua is still learning the system, if they're better off in terms of winning a football game with Tua than Fitzpatrick, I think it's time for Tua. 
you, and that's ex- something that my, my brother brought up too. And again, I'm a little stubborn in my views in some sense. And he was basically saying the same thing you just said, where, hey, if you think Tua gives you a better chance in, in, in the slightest way, then why are you not doing it? And, and like we said, you, you have to 100% trust that, hey, his hip is, is, is perfect. He's good to go because mm-hmm. you know that, again, not like Adam Gase, how he's handling the Le'Veon Bell hamstring issue right now, but you got to trust that the training staff, the doctors, the people whose job and, and professions this is are handling this the right way. So they know, hey, if someone lands on you, we're, we're trusting that it's fine. Everything's put in place what needs to be. And the fact that he is QB2 and not, not dressing and stuff like that, like you see some other quarterbacks do, tells you that, hey, he's ready to go. And, and if performance is what get a uh, lack of performance in Fitzpatrick gets him in there, then it, it is what it is. But you raise a good point about how like kind of, and that's like what Garrett was saying too, is like, where are they? And I was going to say before Garrett got off there that with that seventh uh, playoff spot now and a division that again, doesn't have Brady. So again, the Patriots did very well, but are they going to win those 12 games? I don't think so. And that's what I mean where. And are I the still, Bills going to win 12 games? I don't think so either. And, and that's why it's just you, you gotta just and that's why I think Fitzpatrick still for right now gives you the best chance to win games but and what Gary was saying with the signings like I don't see why you couldn't sneak in into that seventh spot and that's I mean and go and, and say it takes eight and eight like why couldn't you go eight and eight again I know my, like my brother says the same thing that the Dolphins may have overperformed in number wise because they got five wins and to some extent yeah I, I would agree but again it's just with the amount of money they invested like like, why would I lower my expectations if they invested so much money, millions and millions, $240 plus million? Why would I not expect them to kind of be better at stopping the run? And to, to maybe, hey, maybe you go win in Foxborough. Or maybe now you shut down a Josh Allen. That's what I mean. That's kind of something that I think Giants, Jets, and Dolphins all have in common. Is like, like, like when are we going to turn on the TV? And when is the media going to be talking about us being good? Like, again, mm-hmm. every time I watch a, a Dolphin game, it just seems like, all right, like, like shit, like, like, what is this? Like, it just looks like the same team. Like I said before, it's the same old Giants. It's the same old yeah. Jets. Like, when are we going to be the, the, the team that, that everybody loves to watch? Because San Fran did a really good quick turnaround. Tennessee, yeah. kind of same thing. I feel like they popped up out of nowhere. So it's like, like when is that going to be us? And that's what I mean. When your owner and your GM invest $240 million, it better be pretty damn soon. And again, it might not be this year, but but why can't you give me eight wins? Just why? I'm just, and that, that's kind of how I'm going into the season. Just and, I, a little more. and I think your sentiment rings true with the entire fan base for the Dolphins. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why you might see Tua earlier than expected. Because if Fitzpatrick keeps playing like this and the Dolphins lose, let's say, week two, week three, it's going to get a lot louder in Miami for Tua to play. Because people don't want to wait for their you know, prize possession, their prize draft pick just to sit on the sidelines. So I think there's going to be a lot of you know, pushback from the fan base if they don't get if if this doesn't turn around, and I think and Fitzpatrick, so, he's a great story. We all mm-hmm. loved his chains in Tampa Bay. Yeah. You know, he almost brought the Jets to the playoffs of all teams. Like he's he's a fun guy to watch. He's a cool guy, and he's like a league favorite. I I, I assume because everyone seems mm-hmm. to, nobody seems to have a bad thing to say about him. But at some point, whether they start winning and Fitzpatrick isn't the reason, and you think that Tua can bring them over the top, or the opposite where they're not going to win. So let's just throw Tua out there. Let's get the kinks out early. So by the next year, by next year, by next September, you're ready to roll. I think, I think it's going to get a lot louder, the chance for Tua. And I think 
physically speaking, it might get a lot louder because the Dolphins are allowing a maximum of 17,000 fans in their stadium where, again, they're playing other places where you're having none. So, again, I trust Flores to not make an emotional decision and listen to the fans, but I'm going to be very interested to hear what happens when we're uh, walking back into the locker room in halftime and say if we're down down a bunch to the Bills and then see if the boos are ringing and if the two a chance start. I couldn't hear you. What do the Dolphins have week two? So week two, yeah, the Bills at home. Okay. And the, again, so the Bills are coming up that's with a big great game. Because, you know, the Bills are, you know, the consensus favorite to come out of that division. They made the playoffs last year as the wild card. No Brady. They're expected to take the, you know, step forward. If Fitzpatrick, you know, doesn't play well and they lose to the Bills and now they're 0-2, it might, it might be time at that point. I, I, so it's going to, I think it's going to depend again, it's the way, again, I'm, I'm very nervous for the bills just because that that's a game that I, I just wrote down to and texted some of my friends that I don't really have them winning either to the bills just on paper, but mm-hmm. a game at home against a divisional rival. That's what I mean about like, as a fan base, like, like why, why, why am I writing that off? Unfortunately, as two yeah. guaranteed loss, especially at home. Because you expect them to lose because that's what you're and growing up. I mean, that's how many times I mean. has the Dolphins made the playoffs in your fandom, in your fandom of the Dolphins? Twice? The Pennington yeah, yeah. year and then yeah, exactly. three years and that was Yeah, and then, and then in 2016 when we made it, Gase's first year, we got absolutely demolished by the Steelers and we had no business being there. So it was like, yeah, it was awesome. We made it, but then it was like we had no business. We weren't a playoff team, if that makes sense. So I definitely think that it's going to – two a time might be nearly approaching. And then if we lose and Fitzpatrick is another bad game, I think the Jaguars in week three – is a perfect, perfect, perfect game if you're willing to do it to get him in there. Yeah, and that's why I think this Patriots game was so important as someone on your kind of side to say, no, 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 let's wait until it. Let's see what Fitzpatrick can do. Because if Fitzpatrick plays well in on Sunday and they beat the Patriots, nobody's yelling for Tua because you 100%, won. 100%, yes. And if, 100%. They, and, and if they upset the Bills, that's going to you know kind of quiet the Tua crowd and people are like, all right, one and one, let's see what Fitz can do there. So I think week two – huge because you know you know the odds with a team that starts 0-2 their chances of making the playoffs are what like 30 percent and then 0-3 it's yeah. basically the season's over um yeah. so i i think the dolphins are in a very are like in a turning point not only for this season but as a franchise going into the bills game because that's when things could turn at the quarterback position very quickly yeah every every game again especially when you have that young rookie quarterback that you're expecting to be your future. And same thing with the Giants with Daniel Jones last year. Every game and every play, basically, you're just you're standing on eggshells and you're just very hypercritical. And some cases that's good, some cases that's bad. But it's definitely you raise a good point that, yeah, the, the two-a-time two time is, is approaching. And I really feel it. And it might be a little sooner than I want, but, hey, it is what it is. Let's go across the sideline and go to the Patriots for a second because, and we can stitch it into the Brady conversation that we were Mm -hmm. planning on having. You know, we talked about last episode about the Brady versus Belichick, how this year is pretty much going to prove, or the next few years since this divorce has happened, is going to prove who was the guy in New England. Was it Brady because of Belichick or was it Belichick because of Brady? And round one this week went to Belichick because Cam Newton looks very solid against your Dolphins. He ran for, was it two touchdowns? Yeah. He, you know, he didn't turn the ball over. He played exceptionally well, in my opinion. I mean, he didn't take a lot of risks down the field, but he gave what the Dolphins, he got what the Dolphins defense was giving him. And he played like how Tom Brady would play. 
in a game like yeah. that. And that just speaks to Belichick's system. Yeah, again, it's just the more you look at it and the more I saw it, it was just like, like what a perfect fit for, for Newton and, and even the Patriots. And it's almost and like – And you know what? Newton sat around there for the entire league to take forever, that, for months. That, 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 that's what I mean. So you really think about it. It's like, like every other team, you let this happen. And even again, mm-hmm. you could say for the for the Dolphins, like why not take a take a flyer and pay Cam Newton one million dollars? Why why not? Again, even if two is your quarterback, who cares? Because again, like we said, we don't really know where they're at this year. But, but why not? To I me, mean, any team could have taken. Why couldn't the the Jets have have taken Cam Newton and, and just and start him as your backup? And that that's one of those things that you just saw that he, like you said, he didn't do anything crazy that kind of jumped off the page at you, but. It was like 15 for 19 for just like 150 yards. Like he just, he did what you needed him to do. He made the throws when he needed to make throws. And he just was an absolute force that they couldn't stop. And then anytime you kind of see that mobile quarterback nowadays that they do this little option, you're already limiting one extra guy in the box because one guy has to cover the quarterback and the other guy now has, or someone else has to get the running back where opposed to, Hey, Daniel Jones or, or even say Roethlisberger, he's not doing any, any options here. He's just handing it off. So you know where the ball is going. So it's that extra added element of a game plan that teams need to figure out is going to be hard for, for teams to kind of stop the Patriots early on. My only kind of critique offensively is going to be what is it like when they're down? And unfortunately for, for the Dolphins, they were never uh, ahead of uh, the Patriots. And they took – they just milk clock, milk clock, ran it, ran it, ran it. So they didn't really score quick. So I'm very curious to see how they do in a two-minute situation – and when they ha- kind of need to air it out a little bit, a little more explosive stuff. And that's uh, ultimately what you're going to see when you play the Ravens and you play the Chiefs. Cam Newton was 15 to 19, as you said, 155 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, 79.7 QBR. He led everybody, both Patriots and Dolphins, in rushing with 75 yards and two rushing touchdowns. Um, the only bad thing he had was that suit he wore pregame. That yellow, <laughs> that yellow thing that he wore with yeah, the hat. That's, that's fair, that, was, yeah. that was really ugly. I was like, I was like Dolphins by a million when I saw that. But yeah, you know, he, he did really good. And you know, Belichick has to be, you know, really, really pleased, not only because, you know, his team won and Newton looked good, but Brady didn't look that great without him. Yeah, so just, just the last thing just with the Patriots and Cam yeah. is that you open up a whole level of creativity with McDaniels and with Belichick that they didn't have with Brady. Again, I love Brady. I think he's think he's the GOAT, obviously, all that stuff. But there's just so much more you can do with Cam, at least on paper and schematically. So I think the Patriots right now just got to be just chawing at the bit just to, to get ready for week two. It's, yeah. it's an exciting time, I think, to be uh, as, as if it's never an exciting time to be a Patriots fan. It's exciting for them, especially to see – maybe a more uh, revamped offense, something that they're not used to. I, I agree 100%. And you know what? If it was Stidham at quarterback, I'm sure he would have played well too. Belichick just has this ability to get anyone to play well. Like, it doesn't matter who. They had Chris Hogan catching balls in the Super Bowl. Mammoth guy, by the way, Chris yeah, Hogan. No, but my thing about, thing about Chris Hogan, he says Penn State lacrosse in his little intro, and everybody yeah. at Mammoth hates him for it. Well, we, we don't understand. Little, mm-hmm. little, little shade at Mammoth, but it, uh, yeah. it's whatever. Um, but your Belichick system, anyone succeeds there. And yeah, it's he, amazing. It's just, and it's everyone crazy. was like, everyone was like, Newton, you know, didn't play well with Carolina. What does he have anything left? Does he have anything in the tank? Does he actually even care about football anymore at this point? Because he likes to do a lot of other things. Especially that was with me to saying that. And 
Patriots, same old Patriots. And we talk about same old Jets, same old Dolphins, same old Giants, same old Patriots, but it's a positive. And yeah. they're just, they're just absolutely, they gave it to the Dolphins. But moving on to the former Patriot, Brady, lo- loser against the Saints. And this kind of shocked me. I really thought Brady would come out with the weapons that he had with Evans and, you know, with Gronk back and all these guys. I thought they would put up a better performance but Brady did not look good. He had two interceptions, one pick six. That was really bad. Now, let me ask you this, Matt. Is this kind of like a one game, whatever, kind of get your feet wet, the rest of the season will be fine? Or is this, you know, Brady showing his age because he's the oldest quarterback ever? Yeah, so, again, it was just – it was almost like, oh, how Tom Brady was it that he – and then he started off kind of really hot and then – he, he scores the first touchdown of the game. And everybody is like, wow, he's the GOAT, he's the best ever, they're going to be electric. And then it just completely just went, went just totally flat. And then, like you said, it, you really wonder, all right, at what point do we say, all right, is this finally kind of the end? Is, this, is his age kind of ca- catching up to him? And especially in an era where mobile quarterbacks are, are the hot new thing and, and they seem to be the thing that, that win you games and potentially win you championships. So – it's a it's a weird thing for for Tampa Bay to be in right now because again you're fully buying into these next year or two that Tom Brady is your quarterback, but I'm very curious to see if it doesn't pan out. What where are you going to next? Are you going to wait, what Josh Rosen is your future mm-hmm. on your practice squad right now, or, or are you just going to completely have to rebuild and tear it down if these next two years don't work? And it's going to be a very weird thing for the Buccaneers because they're more win it now than any team I've seen in the last five years. I mean, they basically said we're trying to win the Super Bowl within the next two years, or we're just going to have to tear it down again. That's what I mean. Um, So it's weird. Brady went 23 for 36, 239 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, ran, ran for one as well. Um, Let's give the Saints some credit. I mean, everyone's going to talk about how bad, you know, um, Brady and the Buccaneers were, but the Saints are a good football team. We alluded to this last week. They're the team that was in the AFC Championship two years ago. They made the playoffs last year. They're always knocking on the door. Breeze, although he's older and this might be his last year, he's still a guy that can get the job done. So a lot of people are going to bash the Buccaneers and bash Tom Brady, and rightfully so because they didn't play well at all. But Saints are a good football team. Yeah, the, the Saints, and especially just – Again, defensively, you saw it just – it almost became too overwhelming for, for Brady. And then offensively, kind of kind of the same story. They just were just clicking and firing all cylinders. And, like, never really seemed to, to have that massive negative play like we saw today in, in the games we watched with, with the Giants where, all right, you get stuff for five, six yards on a run. Like, that just doesn't happen to the Saints. And, and then they just – if they need to catch up and say there is one negative play, one that's in the blue moon – they just hey, – a little screen pass here, a little pass to Michael Thomas. They just – they have the contingency plans in place to, to catch up if they need to. Yeah. Um, they have Hill. I mean, he's a guy that plays all over. Um, Alvin Kamara had 12 carries, 16 yards. Murray had 15 for 48. They have guys like Cook, 80 yards receiving. They just have – they have dudes, and they're a really, yeah. really good football team. And I don't think that you got to – I don't think you push the panic button on Brady yet. No, because how many times yeah. how many times have we seen this the last five years? The first four weeks of the year, you know, Brady starts two and two, maybe even three and one, but he doesn't look great. And every pundit is like, oh, this is the end for Brady. And then who's in the AFC championship game? Tom Brady. That, yeah, that's what I mean. So we, we, we cannot let ourselves fall into the trap. We can't. As much we as have we to want be, we to. We have to be different here. We can't be yes. like them. 
We have to be different yeah, here. We, we have to say, listen. And doesn't I'm, t- doesn't Tom Brady do, doesn't he deserve the benefit of the doubt? Yeah, exactly. He's exactly. He he again. That's a, where it's different with with a rookie where you haven't really seen him play in in a, in a a professional setting where hey, he might not be that good. But Tom Brady has really never proven us wrong. So it's it, it, it's uh, it's one of those things that we have to, like you said, give him the benefit of the doubt and just see what he's got. Because again, he can wake up tomorrow or wake up on Sunday whenever he plays next and then just ball out and then we're not having this conversation. So we have to not let ourselves fall into that trap that this is it for Brady. Yeah, just take Can't a deep it. breath. We just take a deep yeah. breath because by week 17, they're going to be in the thick of things. I don't, think that's, I don't think that's a question. But, you know, it's fun to talk about when Brady does bad because yeah. he never does. So when he yes. does play bad, we got to jump on it because it's the only 100%. opportunity we have to do that. Let's move on. Last game we're going to talk about because we're nearing the end of our, you know, second episode of Ice the Kicker. Um, the Cowboys-Rams game, specifically the missed or the bad call at the end on the OPI. Um, I believe it was Amari Cooper. Was it Amari Cooper? Uh, or it might have been, might have been Gallup. Man, but it was I think Jalen it was Gallup. Ramsey. Yeah, Jalen Ramsey yeah, yeah. was in coverage. So that, that's the game right there. If that doesn't happen, the Cowboys might win that game. Um, yeah. Now, it let me ask you things. this, because Ingram yeah. today had – uh, a little bit of a more blatant offensive pass interference mm-hmm. could have gone either way, in my opinion. But you know, I understood why the call was made against Ingram. But you know, that wasn't it, the Cowboys' call was egregious. It wasn't a good call at all. Do you think? And we'll get into more of the X's and O's of that game in a second. Do you think you should be able to challenge a pass interference call? I mean, again, I don't know what happened, but I could have sworn didn't last year wasn't that the whole thing is that you could challenge PI calls now? Or, or they go I thought the I heard loser. that too, which makes yeah, me wonder why they didn't. Or maybe they that, got rid of it. I, 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 again, I don't, I need to figure this out, but I could have sworn I heard one of the announcers say, yeah, they got rid of that rule, which, again, that makes no sense to me. It makes because the Saints no didn't go to, to the Super Bowl one year because of a missed pass interference call. That's what I mean. It's the same thing with, with the MLB and doing the replays. If you can get a perfectly called game, mm-hmm. why would you not do that? Take yeah. the extra two minutes. You already got millions and millions of viewers watching football does not have to worry about losing viewership. Why would Mm -hmm. you not do it to perfect the game? So we're not having conversations of all blown call this blown call that it it, it, that should not dictate a game. It just absolutely should not. Now I remember last year when they, I remember the rule. I remember last year they had the rule, but the thing was it was never reversed ever. Yes, 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 yes. I remember that too. And that's, so I I think think they just kind of axed it. And then week one, the next year comes back to bite them. Goes back. I mean, there definitely was like I feel like there was a little bit of push, but it, it's kind of like in baseball, the neighborhood play on a force, like re, it, it, that can't happen. Like that's not that can't dictate the outcome of a game. Now I'm thrilled. I hate the Cowboys with everything. Of course, I, I have. of course, yes. Um, uh, but you know, games can't end like that. But you know, the Cowboys, the Cowboys had chances to win that game, and you know, Mike McCarthy went for it on that fourth down with 11 minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Instead of going mm-hmm. for the easy chip shot field goal to tie the game on the fourth and three, they decide to go for it, and they don't get it. So mm-hmm. it's easy to say, Matt, that you know the offensive pass interference bad call cost the Cowboys the game, but the Cowboys had other chances to you know beat the beat the Rams. Yeah, and I agree too. And you even just look at look at the play as a whole, like. They, they were backed up pretty much in their territory, in Dallas's territory, and then they threw, threw a bomb. So it's like it, – it's one of those things that it was obviously kind of a desperation type of play, but it's like I definitely think I agree with it. You could have figured out some other way to at least get three points and keep that game tied kind of finishing up in the fourth quarter there. And just overall, I, I did 
it's tough as far as the play itself. Like, I did definitely see a little bit of, of a push-off. And, again, it's one of those things where you hope that if the refs were calling plays like that and if they were being very on the wide receivers and the cornerbacks in their hand play, if they were calling it the whole game, then you say, all right, at least they were consistent. But if they were letting the letting everybody play and letting everyone kind of rough each other up a little bit when going for passes and then they call that just because it's the fourth quarter, that I, I would definitely disagree with. Yeah, and it was it was an entertaining game. And I just want to say one thing that has nothing to do with the game. That stadium is just absolutely insane. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine seeing that in person. Just like the scene from the, I, the I don't, I don't even believe that's a real place. I think it, they were it, just messing with it us. It looks massive. And like the whole outside kind of canopy thing is just yeah. crazy to me. I mean, it, it, it really infuriates me. And I was thinking about this all day. They built that, you know, just palace, right? And then at East Rutherford, we have this like, toaster in the middle of the swamp. And it's you the have ugliest two teams, thing. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's like they had two teams invest in it. Yeah. And you I have, mean, the again, whole thing with the Giants and Jets or making that stadium gray and look like, like a big like look toaster unfinished. or whatever it is. Yeah. Like they're like, oh, we have two teams. We have to make it neutral. I mean, there isn't, there's a the dual. Yeah, there are two teams. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, they definitely, yeah, just, just staying sidetracked here. They definitely dropped the ball at MetLife with as far yeah. as the whole stadium's concerned. Yeah, so the Rams pull that one out. I like the Rams as a team. I think McVay is one of the best coaches in the NFL. Uh, yeah, went to the I, I Super love Bowl a couple of years ago. I think Goff had a step back after that one Super Bowl year that he had. He played really bad in that Super Bowl, and then they didn't make the playoffs last year. I think the Rams are a team that you need to look out for. Um, moving forward, they got they obviously got a gift against the Cowboys. Um, Cowboys had a tough break. Their tight end out for the season with an ACL injury, and and uh, uh, Van Der Esch too with the the broken collarbone. So that, yeah. that's too huge. And I think you're seeing uh, around the league a lot. And again, I think people just need to understand that this is just football. It, it, it mm-hmm. sucks. Again, we can get as excited as we want every year. The guys we got, the guys we got, the guys we got. But has it ever happened where the guys you start with? end up playing in week 17. No. It's always no. that so one it, catastrophic injury on each team. And it, that's it. It just, it sucks so much, but it's just that that's just football. Again, guys, ACLs go down the whole time done for the year. And you, I, every time you, you turn on the TV or I check my phone is this guy's out for the year. This guy's out for the year. This guy's out for the game. And I think even more so because these guys haven't been touched uh, a single time yet. Mm-hmm. So this is the first time really kind of hitting someone and getting hit that their bodies aren't really conditioned for it. Now, let me ask you about that. In my opinion, watching all, through all these games this Sunday, we talked about this on the first episode, how there might be like kind of a rusty, kind of like a sloppy level of play. For the most part, I thought all the games were pretty solid in terms of your quality of football. Yeah, I mean, just, just at least the, the games that we've been focusing on the most with the Jets, Giants, and Dolphins, they're really well, – like, I didn't see many penalties or many pre-snap penalties, yeah. which usually is an indication of, of rust or a young team. And, again, I think across the league, too, I've been seeing a lot, a lot of clean play. So I was honestly very impressed with that. I and, mean, obviously, tip of the caps to all the coaches out there with getting their teams where they needed to be from that standpoint. But, yeah, I definitely agree that there really wasn't a lot of sloppiness going around, like not really a lot of missed tackles. I mean, again, with the Giants, Blake Martinez seemed like he was running around all over the place. I don't think mm-hmm. the guy missed one tackle the whole day. So he definitely wasn't rusty. Yeah, I didn't. There was not one moment watching where I was like, "Oh, you know what? If there was a preseason, that wouldn't have happened." I, I and going off of that, that could probably mean in future years that there's a cut down on training camps and preseasons. I mean, I, I understand why it's important for your like rookies 
and you know a, a few second year players but why do five to 10-year vets need to do training camp why do they need to do otas at this point because these games were fine so i i think that's a, a great topic to end with right now mm-hmm. is is i would have to 100 agree because imagine say last year daniel jones's rookie season and it's a week two uh preseason game week two and daniel jones goes down with an acl injury mm-hmm. uh, again i would you'd be devastated yeah and then at, at the very least, and it might be dumb to say, but at the very least, you want him to get hurt at least in a real game. Yeah. Just just make it make it mean something. Mm-hmm. Make make that contract and make it worthwhile. It's, and those it's preseason the, games, nobody watches them. They suck. No, yeah. And I think there's definitely something you could do as far as uh, just scrimmages amongst other teams, kind of in mm-hmm. a more controlled atmosphere, without TVs. It doesn't matter about that. And, I, I, yeah, I, I would agree with you that I really can see the, the uh, NFL – Definitely, maybe not taking away all of them, but I can see them definitely going maybe two weeks. And I think two weeks to at least give the, uh, the incoming rookies and the new guys a chance to earn a spot. I think that, at the very least, taking all things under consideration would be a good thing to do and just go two preseason games. And then maybe even, I know Jerry Jones wanted it, maybe you add in uh, a week 18 to the NFL. If I were the Chiefs, I would never play Patrick Mahomes in a single preseason game, ever. I, I he's mean, worth I way too much money, and if like he sprains an ankle or tears an ACL in week three of the preseason, what am I doing? Why would I? Why? Why did I do that? I, again, you couldn't have said any better. It's just it really makes you wonder. Like for these guys, it's like yeah, you want them to get the rust off, go get the rust off in practice, but just practice yeah. against your your first team defense mm-hmm. and push the pace and make a game like and yeah. still keep it in that atmosphere. Hey, where you're not getting hit or you're not getting rolled up on by a 300-pound defensive lineman. Again, as, as a coach, it's like, obviously, you want your guys to get better, but do you value health more? Because, again, people always say availability is the best ability. Well, if I got Patty Mahomes and I'm paying him $50 million, whatever it is, I want him to at least make it to week one. Yeah. By God, he better make it to week one. And if he gets hurt in a preseason game, it's like it's almost like, like shame on you as the, for the coaches. The best ability is availability. That's from The Bronx Tale, one of my favorite movies. I did not know that. There you Um, go. That'll basically do it. Unless, Matt, is there any other topic we did not get to that you want to touch upon in any other game? It's the last last little little sound here. I think Minshew Mania down down in Jacksonville was was running wild. And and he's definitely someone to look at because the Jags were, I, I thought, again, full in on tank for Trevor Lawrence. But who knows? I think that's definitely something to keep an eye on as these weeks progress. Who knows? Maybe the Jets are so bad that they end up getting the one pick. Then you have to choose between Darnold or do you get or do you pull like a Murray Rosen kind of, and get Lawrence? Yeah, you know, that's something we can talk about when we get Garrett back on here. But, it's a great you know, conversation to have. It's, another, it's a conversation for another episode. But that'll, that'll definitely do it for the second edition of the Ice the Kicker podcast. We'll be back. I believe we'll do a preview, right? Yeah, yeah, we'll try to definitely get something else, we'll too. Get, we'll get something before, you know, next Monday. We'll definitely try to get something out uh, before the weekend so we can kind of preview week two because we did a lot of recapping. We want to look forward uh, in the next episode. So we'll definitely check that out later this week. So that will just about do it for us. For Matt Farrar, my name is Glenn Denegris. Thank you for listening to the second episode of Ice the Kicker, and we'll see you next time.